Shalom and welcome to Shomer Mitzvot, Torah Observant, a series on practical messianic living and apologetics. I'm the author, Torah teacher Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. Torah observance is a matter of the heart. It always has been and always will be. The Torah proper instructed the people of Israel to love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your resources. This is where Shomer Mitzvot begins, by loving Hashem and accepting Him on His terms. By this, I mean accepting His means of covenant obedience. For today, this means acceptance of Yeshua, His only Son, for Jew and non-Jew alike. Shalom, shalom. You're listening to Exegeting Galatians, a Messianic Jewish commentary. My name is Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. Let's open with a word of prayer. Avinu Malkeinu, our Father, our King, Lord, we're delighted to say that uh, we are happy that you have called us once again to a place where we can sit and study your words. Uh, we are privileged that we can uh, sit and learn from you and to uh, soak up the Spirit and to discuss uh, the mighty works of our Master Yeshua. We pray, Lord, that you will uh, give us eyes to see, that you'll open our ears so that we can hear your voice and understand what you're saying to us. Uh, Father, I pray that you will forgive us where we fall short. I pray that you'll uh, continue to strengthen us and raise us up as families, as communities, uh, seeking to to um, share your words with passion, uh, not ashamed of the good news. Uh, that is able to save, that is able to bring Jew and Gentile to a knowledge of Yeshua. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'll give us open doors, give us an opportunity to meet with people around us, uh, our friends, our family members, our co-workers. Um, help us to uh, remind ourselves, be reminded that uh, we are called for a purpose. We're here not just to enjoy life and to just to survive. Uh, rather, you have equipped us um, to be ambassadors, to be lights, to be salt. Um, and sometimes that means that the things that we say and the things that we share and the things that we encounter, Lord, are not going to be pleasant. But, Lord, continue to strengthen us during these uh, evil and last days as the, the second coming of your Son draws near, as uh, we look for his blessed return. Um, help us to remember that your words are here to equip us and so it is with that that we turn with expectation towards the book of Galatians once again, uh, realizing that the words here are not just 2,000 years old, but yet they are alive, they are relevant for us today, and that we seek to uh, um, live our lives according to what is found therein. We'll be careful, Lord, to give you the praise and the glory. B'Shem Yeshua. Amen. All right, well, I'd like to welcome everyone once again to another week of our study through the book of Galatians. My name is Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. I'm a Torah teacher out at Congregation Kehilat Tunuva in Thornton, Colorado. Um, you're certainly invited to come out and join us uh, on a Shabbat, on a weekend, and um, we've got services there, 
and we've got Sabbath classes. You can join in on the uh, studies and things like that, as well as the sermon. Uh, but if you're out in Colorado, uh, be sure to tell them I said shalom, because I won't be there. I'm coming to you live from South Korea every week, and uh, pleasure to do to be able to meet everyone, even if it is across the internet, even if it is across the miles uh, via the internet. Let's date stamp our recording uh, tonight. It Today is a new month. We're in November 4th, 2017 for most of you. And this is week 79 of our uh, study. As just a reminder, for those of you who are able to make it, make it live with us each week, we meet via Skype from 6, I'm sorry, from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. And um, as most of you who live in the United States know, you're going to probably be setting your clocks, spring forward, fall back. You're going to be setting your f- clocks backwards probably tomorrow or sometime early in the morning. So just make sure you uh, uh, remind you that our meeting time, 7 p.m. to 8 p.m., um, is going to follow center- Central Standard Time. So don't forget to set your clock back or else next week you, you might miss the class. So... Um, also, you'll need to join us via Skype if you want to join us for the live classes uh, on the internet. They're free to everyone. All you need is a internet connection and a Skype. Skype on your phone or on your laptop or your computer, Mac or PC. Either one works. Also, um, if you'd like to follow along, just real quick by way of logistics, if you'd like to follow along the study, uh, written-wise, written notes are available on my website at www.tetzetora.com. T-E-T-Z-E-T-O-R-A-H.com. Right on the homepage of my website, you will find a link at the top for the Galatians commentary. And for, on that page, you should be able to find all of the relevant information for, uh, say, the written notes, the audio portions that I record each week, uh, information about the podcast and things like that. If you're not able to make it each week um, live for Skype, then... Uh, Go on out to my website or head on over to iTunes, either one. And um, you can find the podcast of the audio recording that I make each week. Uh, and you can follow along that way. Okay. Without further ado, let's jump into a little bit of liturgy for tonight. As I'm fond of reading a few passages out of the Tanakh, as well as a few passages out of the Apostolic Scriptures, the New Testament. So for those of you who are in the live class with me tonight, we'll try to make this uh, short. I'll try to keep the liturgy short so we can uh, jump into the study. Um, The study will be about an hour long, so we'll see what we can get out of that. We're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 6 and chapter 11, and then I'll jump over, uh, jump back to the book of um, Numbers for a passage. I'm, what I'm doing is for this section of liturgy, since it's tied a little bit theme-wise into the book of Galatians, the verse that we're looking at in the book of Galatians, then I've selected a few passages that are familiar to most of you who've been in and around Messianic circles or Judaic circles. I'm pulling a few passages out of the Shema, uh, or at least within the, past, the uh, chapters that the Shema falls in. So, for instance, uh, for our first liturgy verse, Deuteronomy chapter 6, most of us are used to reading uh, 6, verse 4 through verse 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, uh, starting out with the Shema there. But I'm, I'm going to skip some of those verses and just jump all the way down to um, 
down to the last two verses of that passage, chapters of that chapter, chapter six, uh, verse twenty-four and twenty-five of Deuteronomy. Um, I'm reading from the nineteen seventeen JPS version, the hundred-year-old uh, Jewish Publication Society version. And verse twenty-four says, "And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God." for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. And verse 25 says, And it shall be righteousness unto us if we observe to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. And um, those same verses in Hebrew for verse 24, for those of you who are on the screen right, or can see my screen, uh, I'm reading this section right here, uh, starting right there. Uh, the Hebrew says, "Vayitzaveno Adonai laosot et kol hachukim ha'ileh la'yira et Adonai elochenu latov lanu kol hayamim lachayotenu kahayom hazeh." And verse twenty-five says, "Utzedakati chelanu ki nishmor laosot et kol hamitzvah hazot lifne Adonai elochenu kaashir tzivanu." And um. The reason I read these two verses is because we're on this little discussion um, in our uh, study of Galatians about Paul warning the Gentile Galatians about if they become circumcised, Galatians 5.3, then if they take on circumcision, then they're obligated to keep the whole law. And this sounds like a rather strange warning from Paul, considering that the Torah itself enjoins Israel to keep all the commandments or all the words, emphasis on this word all. And we see this show up in these two verses here. Um, the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, right? In the Hebrew, this would correspond over here to the word kol. And also in verse 25, it shall be righteousness unto us if we observe to do all this commandment before the Lord. Again, uh, the same word here, kol ha-mitzvah hazot, all of this commandment. So, the Torah already tells Israel, notice it doesn't warn them that they have to keep all the commandments, just it enjoins them, it invites them, it um, it obligates them to keep all of the commandment. So, it sounds rather strange for Paul to warn the Gentiles that they have to keep all of the commandments also. Um, and then if we jump over to chapter 11 of Deuteronomy in our liturgy again, we're not reading a lot, we're just selectively taking a few verses here and there. I uh, mentioned last week that when God asked Israel to keep the commandments and to love him and to serve him, um, the thing that is sometimes lost to traditional Christian interpretations or um, views on the Torah itself is that uh, many times uh, uh, Christian commentators see the, the commandments as just kind of a wooden set of rules, a list of do's and don'ts, and sometimes they're not not reminded that God is actually not so much commanding Israel to do a set of you know do's and don'ts as he is bringing them into a relationship with himself. Recall from the first part of the Shema that we didn't read, uh, you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. So God isn't really so much focusing on, hey Israel, <clears throat> I'm this over- Power, you know, this 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 all-powerful God, and here's my list of do's and don'ts, you better do them or else zot, zap, I'm going to zap you if you don't do them all correctly or things like that. God is really, you know, he's, he's about relationship. And we can see this all throughout the Torah if we would stop and read it. And what's really cool about the Torah, as I'm, not, as I'm trying desperately not to make my liturgy into a sermon, but 
what we what's really cool about the Torah is that verses like Deuteronomy eleven thirteen, which we focused on last week, um, God in commanding Israel to love Him and to serve Him, at the same time then asks or enjoins Him to keep His commandments. And the language of keeping the commandments and serving God and loving Him are are mashed together. They're inseparable. So, for instance, um, in Deuteronomy eleven thirteen, it says, And it shall come to pass, if ye shall hearken diligently unto my commandments, which I command you this day, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Right? Um, is that the verse I wanted to read? Let me make sure that is the verse I wanted to read. Yeah. All right. So, um, God's talking about this idea of keeping the commandments again. And this is the beginning of, of, of one of the verses um, of the uh, uh, second or the middle part of the um, of the Shema that we read in our liturgy, if you if you're used to praying the set time prayers or reading out of a liturgical siddur or something like that, it shall come to pass if you shall hearken diligently to the commandments. Right? Notice God's enjoining them to keep the commandments, and then also to love the Lord your God and to serve Him with all heart and soul. So this sounds this kind of links it right back over to the first part of the Shema, which we didn't read the Deuteronomy six verse five: "You shall love the Lord, Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind." Um, the Hebrew says, "Vahaya im shemo tishmu el mitzvotayv, asher anochi metzave et chem hayom laahava et Adonai lochechem." Loving Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, like we say here in this verse, is sandwiched right in the middle of hearken diligently unto my commandments. And we already talked about how last week hearken diligently is uh, the, how we see it in the Hebrew, in the English. It's basically a doubling up of the same Hebrew word, right? Shmo tishmu. Um, it's really the same word twice. Shama shama is the root word behind both of these um uh, cognates here. So, uh, God is asking Israel, of course, to keep his commandments, but even, in my opinion, even more important than that, he's asking Israel to love the Lord your God and serve him with all their heart and with soul. And of course, how could you obey God if you didn't love him first? And that's only that's the only verse I want to highlight there. And then, um, if we jump down to, uh, in the same passage, Let's see, if we jump down to the very last Pasuk, the very last verse of chapter 11 of Deuteronomy, you shall observe to do all the statutes and the ordinances which I set before you this day. Again, Moshe instructing Israel, which of course are God's thoughts and God's words, just Moshe is the mouthpiece. You shall observe to do all the statutes, as we read in the English, all the statutes. If we look at the Hebrew, Ushmartem la'osot et kol hakim. Again, um, all the statutes and the ordinances, again, the Hebrew word, same word in the Hebrew, call, hachukim, all the statutes. So there's no uh, ambiguity from the Torah perspective. When, when Paul, and we're going to see this when we turn to Galatians, when Paul tells the Gentiles in Galatians, if you become circumcised, you're obligated to keep all the commandments, as if this is a warning that they didn't know about, as if it's something that your average Jewish reader who read the Torah didn't know. <gasps> you can hear the, the sarcasm in my voice. <gasps> we have to keep all of them? I thought we were we could like pick and choose. We could keep just a few here and keep a few there. <gasps> Paul, you mean we have to keep all? We're obligated to keep all? As if this is something new, right? So, um, 
No, the Torah enjoys us to keep all. It did from word go. And then just one more passage uh, that I want to look at. If we turn to the book of Numbers and go over to chapter 15, this is the familiar passage that we recite. This is the third of three passages that we recite in the Shema. The first one is out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. The second is out of Deuteronomy chapter 11. And the third one is over here in Numbers um, where we uh, read these verses about dawning Tzitzit, or the the, the um, ritual fringes that you'll find many uh, Messianic Jews and Gentiles uh, wearing on their garments, or if you're wearing a talit katan or a talit gadol, you'll find the little fringes hanging off the end. And this is accord in accordance with what we read here in the book of Numbers, chapter eleven. I'm sorry, chapter fifteen, starting in verse uh, thirty-seven. Usually we read thirty-seven through forty-one. Um, uh, I don't want to read, uh, I suppose I'll read all of this. Only It's only one, two, three, four, five short verses, so I'll just read all of them. Uh, verse 37, And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, verse 38, Speak unto the children of Israel, and bid them, that they make them throughout their generations fringes in the corners of their garments, that they put with the fringe on of each corner a thread of blue. Verse 39, And it shall be unto you a fringe, for a fringe, that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them. Notice right there in the middle of verse 39. Look upon it, right, the fringe, and remember all, there's that word all again, remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them, that ye go not about after your own heart and your own eyes, after which ye used to go astray. Verse 40, that ye may remember and do all my commandments and be holy unto your God. In verse 41, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. If we go back and look at the Hebrew of that same section, starting in verse 37, it reads, Vayomer Adonai el Moshe lemor. Verse 38, Daber el b'nei Yisrael va'amarta aleihem va'asu lachem tzitzit al kanfei v'gdehem and in the middle of that verse, when we read, um, oh, sorry, I didn't get to it yet. Let me jump down now, verse 39. In the middle of verse 39, when God says, remember all the commandments, again, the, the English word all is, is represented by the Hebrew word kol here, so we have et kol mitzvot Adonai. Um, remember, uskaratem, et, sign of the definite article, kol the, or I'm sorry, all, mitzvot, commandments, Adonai, the Lord. So, again, we've got consistency in the Torah, all means all means all means all, represented by the Hebrew word kol there. Right there. And then let's continue with the Hebrew in verse 40. Lama'an tiskaru v'asitem otam kol mitzvotai v'hitem kadoshim le'elohechem. And then the final Pasuk, verse 41. Ani Adonai lohechem asher hotzeiti etchem me'eretz mitzrayim lechiot lechem le'elohim ani Adonai lohechem. Alright, so that'll be our liturgy for the uh, Tanakh section tonight. And I just wanted to highlight as we're moving into the Apostolic Scripture section that um, the Torah, in no unambiguous terms, 
enjoins Israel to keep all of the commandments. So when Paul comes along in Galatians chapter 3, which we're going to see here, and tells the Galatian Gentiles that if they become circumcised, that they're obligated to keep all of the commandments, actually, for any Gentile who is familiar with the um, content of the Torah in the first century, which I'm certainly sure, I'm, I'm pretty sure that the Gentiles in Paul's day in his congregations would have been familiar with the Torah as well. Um, they would have learned it from the synagogues and from the Jewish communities that they were um, joining themselves to anyway. They would have understood that the commitment to keep the Torah is a commitment to keep all of the Torah. So let's turn to Galatians chapter 5. Um, I think what I'll do again is I'll turn to our uh, friendly BibleHub.com website where we've got a representation of the interlinear version of this passage out of the Apostolic Scriptures. And uh, if you're with me in the live class, you can see on the page, I've, it's kind of busy looking, but from top to bottom, it's got some Strong's numbers at the top, and then a, a transliteration of the Greek. And then below that, we've got a representation of a Greek script. I'm using the SBLJ and, uh, SBLGNT version here. Uh, and then below that word in red, you can see there's a, um, a translation into English. And then below that, we've got what we call the morphology, which is kind of the parts of speech and all of the, um, you know, the inflections and the parts and what, 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 uh, mood and voice and tense that that Greek shows up in, uh, things like that. So, uh, if you're following along on the on the screen, I'll start in verse 1. I'm just going to read 1 through 6 of Galatians chapter 5, and that'll catch the context of what we're looking at. Um, and I think what I'll do for the English, this is going to sound a little strange to you, but in the English, I'm going to read the, uh, the interlinear version, the pony version, the word-for-word -word wooden translation in the red there that you can see on your screen. So it's going to sound, some of the words are going to sound like a little backwards, but this will just leave the syntax, that is the word order of the Greek, word-for-word, -word, put it back into the same order so you can see that. All right? Okay, here we go. The English reads, verse 1, so this isn't any true English version. It's not NIV or KJV or NASB or anything like that. All right, the English reads, In freedom us Christ has set free. Stand firm, therefore, and not again in a yoke of slavery entangle yourselves. Verse 2, Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you shall become circumcised, Christ you nothing will profit. Verse 3, I testify moreover again to every man being circumcised that a debtor he is all the law to keep. We're going to focus on that last phrase there all the law to keep when we get to the Greek. Verse 4, You are severed from Christ, whoever in law are being justified. From grace you have fallen away. Verse 5, We indeed, through the Spirit, by faith, the hope of righteousness eagerly await. Verse 6, In, indeed, Christ Jesus, neither circumcision any has power nor uncircumcision, but only faith through love working. All right. That's not too difficult to understand if you listen, to, if you're familiar with what the verse is saying, if you've read it out of your regular standard English version before. All right, let's go back up and look at the um, Greek corresponding to that. Uh, starting in verse 1, we read, Te eleutheria hemas Christos, eleutherosen, stekate un kai me palen zugo duleas en Verse 2, Ide ego, palas lego human hati in peritemnesta, Christas humas uden ophalese, verse 3, Marturomai de palen panti anthropo peritemnameno, hati ophelites est in holland, 
halantan naman poiesai, that phrase there in the Greek, uh, halantan naman poiesai, all the law to keep. We're going to focus on that tonight. That's basically kind of the meat of where we're um, centering on since we already talked about this idea of keeping all the law in the in our apostol- in our um, Torah portion. Let's go back and compare it to what Paul has to say. Uh, verse 4. And verse 5. And then the final pasik, final one, verse 6. In gar Christo Jesu ute peratome tiscue ute acrobustia a la pistis de agapes in ergumene. All right, and that'll be our our liturgy for the night. And again, since we are um, uh, looking just really at chapter five, verse three, uh, Paul says, "Marturumai de Paulin Panti." I testify, moreover, again to every man. Right, Panti Anthropo, every man. Notice it's every man and not every. It's not really every. It's not every male. Uh, the Greek word anthropo can refer to male or female because it, it says man here in the English, but really it's every every human. Uh, anthropo. We get our English word anthropology from the same uh, root Greek word. Uh, being circumcised, peritemnomeno, hati ophelites, that a debtor, estin, is, he is, estin. And then this final uh, four Greek words, holentanomon poiesai, all the law to keep. Let's focus on that part tonight. All the law to keep. What does it mean he has to keep all of the law? All right. Uh, let me change that version real quick in my English here. Let me go back since I'm done really looking at the, uh, the parts of speech there. Bear with me on the screen. I'm just switching versions. And let's scroll down to... This way, I'm switching versions for for those of you in the class. This way, I can uh, get a wider look at some of the other uh, verses. All right, I hope you can still see my screen. Why just switch to us to biblia.com, and on the left side we've got the English, which is the ESV, and on the right side we've still got uh, the SPLGNT. It just doesn't have all the uh, all the the page isn't as busy. It's just the pure Greek there over there, and we're focusing on this verse right here, Maturumai de Pali. The Palin Panti Anthropo, specifically on this last phrase, Holantan Naman Poiesai, the Greek phrase, obligated to keep the whole law. What does Paul mean here? All right, going to my commentary, we are uh, looking just at one verse, and I think we're going to finish it tonight. We'll finish chapter 5, verse 3. This will turn us and poise us ready to look at a new verse starting next week. And I've spent like, what is this, third week just on one verse? Some of you are wondering, Ariel, what what do you think the verse means? Your explanations sometimes are so long. Uh, I get lost in the explanation. Can you tell me kind of just in a shortened version, what do you think Paul is trying to say here? All right, I'm going to tell you tonight. We we're looking at chapter five verse three. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. And uh, recall that I broke this verse down into kind of two sections, into two issues: issue one and issue two. And in issue one, there were 
there was a section where we looked at some, say, kind of rhetorical questions that I created revolving around issue one, and then issue two, which we're going to turn to tonight, which will finish out our commentary on this particular verse. So in order to understand what those two issues were, let's just look at the very beginning of this verse as I recorded it in my commentary. We're near the uh, bottom of page 151, and I rewrote a little bit of this this week to make it plain so that those of you who read through my commentaries and are sometimes lost in the lengthy wordiness of it, I kind of made a very short version of what I think the verse is saying so you can kind of understand it. And so I want to read that since I rewrote it this week anyway. And that'll introduce us to the section that we're going to look at. Uh, I say in my commentary, and we're going to start right here in this paragraph for those of you who are with me in the live class and can see the screen. Paul says, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. Of course, we know that Paul is primarily addressing Gentiles who are uh, um, part of this community of Jews and Gentiles here in Galatia. And the warning here in his letter is aimed primarily at Gentiles. This is obvious from the fact that he says, every man who accepts circumcision because Jewish males accept circumcision on the eighth day, right? They don't really have a choice in the matter. Um, it's not like they can really object to their uh, to the moil who's actually you know doing the bris, cutting away the, the 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 foreskin, right? They don't have any any choice in the matter. So really, Paul is addressing his words to adults. Let's read my commentary. The warning in 5.2 against trusting in Jewish conversion for covenant membership essentially repeats again in this verse. So go back and read 5.2. In fact, 5.2, 5.3, and 5.4 all use this idea of, of how do I get into the covenant? And Paul uses the phrase of circumcision, uh, the term circumcision, twice, perhaps maybe even three times. I'll go back and look here in a moment. So I say, however, because circumcision and Torah obligation are both conveyed in pejorative terms in this verse, in my opinion, it presents difficulties for those who only read the scriptures from a face value perspective. I say primarily because the Torah itself doesn't warn Israel away from circumcision and keeping commandments. Notice we read that in the book of Deuteronomy. God didn't warn them away from circumcision and commandments. And commandment keeping, right? He didn't warn them away from it. Notice the the the, the kind of the concept of, of Paul warning the Gentiles, but yet the Torah didn't really warn them. Hey, Israel, watch out! If you get circumcised, ah, you got to keep all of it. I go on to say, adding to the interpretive challenge, we're near the top of page one fifty two. Adding to the interpretive challenge, I say, is the fact that in other letters, Paul himself seems to approve of the value of circumcision, so long as one keeps the commandments, right? Consider Romans 2.25, which I'll read here, quote, For circumcision indeed is a value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision, end quote. That's rendered out of the ESV. So what gives? Paul's saying circumcision is good if you keep the law, and then he's going to warn the Gentile Galatians that if they keep circumcision, they're, he's going to warn them away from keeping the whole law? Something sounds strange here. So that's what I meant by face value reading of what Paul's saying here in Galatians. I go on to say in my commentary that most Christian commentators see Galatians 5.3 to be implying a warning away from circumcision. Emphasis on the word away. Away from circumcision and Torah obedience based on the fact that once a person becomes circumcised, and I say understandably this must indicate adult circumcision later on in life, that person who becomes circumcised is subsequently obligated to obey every single mitzvah, every single commandment 
found in the Torah of Moshe. And we, um, we know also that traditional Christian commentators um, agree that such a choice, they believe, would conflict with a life of faith in Yeshua for some reason. Um, most commentators uh, that you read about in Christian commentaries these days take that position, uh, that Paul's warning the Gentile Galatians from accepting circumcision as kind of a gateway to Torah obedience uh, because it's a lifestyle that's going to conflict with their life in Messiah. Of course, I disagree. I say in my commentary, therefore, I want to explore two issues commonly brought up by this verse. And here we have it. Here are the two issues that uh, we've been talking about. We're only going to look at the issue number two tonight because we've already looked at issue one. But just by way of recall, here were the two issues that we studied for the last two weeks. Issue one, does Paul believe that there is a problem with circumcised people being obligated to keep the whole Torah? In other words, why would Paul have to warn them? Why is the verse read as a warning away from obligation to keep all of the words of the Torah? Especially when we read in the Torah, those passages in the book of Deuteronomy, that God isn't warning them about keeping all of the Torah. He's actually inviting them into a relationship with him and into a lifestyle of keeping the Torah. It's not a warning as if, Watch out, you know, warning, this is a way that you don't want to go down this. You know, like you might see a, a sign in front of you on the street that says, warning, bridge out, bridge washed away, or something like that. What does that mean? It means do a U-turn, turn around. You don't want to go down that way. Is that what Paul's doing? Is is Roman, is Galatians 5.3 a U-turn sign, right? Turn around, go the other way. All right, so that's that's really what we looked at in issue one. Issue two that we're going to look at tonight is... When Paul uses the word um, law in our English translations, the Greek word that we looked at is namos, is he even talking about the written Torah of Moshe here? Right? So that's what we're going to look at tonight. Is he even talking about the written Torah? So let's scroll down in my commentary to section uh, where we're dealing with issue two. This is going to show up on, here we go, near the top of page 156. And I think today we're going to be able to finish. We'll hit uh, the top of page, we'll hit all of page 156 and all of page 157 and then just the very top of page, the peak of page 158. So that's what we're going to study tonight. And I think I should be able to do that in the next, I'll try to do that in the next uh, 20, 30 minutes or so, okay? All right, top of page 156. So now we're in the second part of the uh, of my examination of this verse. Is Paul even talking about the written Torah of Moshe? So again, look at the verse. Paul says, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is a debtor, or he's obligated, in the ESV it says, to keep the whole law. And notice in the English it says law. In the Greek um, it's naman, the Greek phrase naman is related to the root word namos, which is our familiar Greek word for the word law. And we've already talked about this in the past, how that when Paul uses the word namos or naman, some, some derivative of this word namos, that, um, he is usually talking about Torah law, but he could refer to the, he could be referring to the principle of law. He could be referring to Roman law. It's, in other words, it's just the generic word for law, and the context determines what law he's referring to. But more important to our study here in the book of Galatians, and this is something that's unfortunately sometimes lost on traditional Christian interpreter, interpreters of this passage, but I don't think it's lost to many who are within the Messianic movement, so just listen up for a moment. 
I say, is Paul even talking about the written Torah of Moshe here when he warns those Gentiles away from going down this path of circumcision as a kind of a gateway towards a lifestyle? Is it a lifestyle of written Torah that he's referring to? Let's read my commentary. In my comments to Galatians 3.12 above, I made the following observation. Quote, listen up, this is kind of just a, a shortened version of what I think this verse is talking about. I went on to say earlier, Paul will eventually spell out some of the furthering, damning implications of following the influencer's dangerous theological view in Galatians 5.3 by warning the Galatian Gentile Christians, quote, every man who accepts circumcision is obligated to keep the whole law, end quote. Of course, that's uh, the verse we're looking at tonight. It's a statement that must, by context, I say, refer to Gentile converts' commitment to a Jewish-only written and oral Torah. Oral Torah, that's right. I go on to say in my commentary, such a commitment would demonstrate that the new Jewish proselyte is separated from his fellow believing Gentile counterparts who had decided not to undergo conversion. This type of Jewish-only commitment to the Torah runs counter to the Abrahamic promise itself. End quote. All right, so that's basically, in case you're not catching it, that's basically how I'm understanding the, the warning here that Paul's giving to the Gentile Galatians. He's warning them that this idea of circumcision, which is read as Gentile conversion in Paul's day, circumcision is going to actually associate those Gentiles with the Jewish community, and indeed that's going to turn them into legally recognized Jews, they will lose their status as Gentiles, that they will join the Jewish community as proselytes, albeit Jewish proselytes, and as such, the halacha, or the lifestyle, or the policies that they're going to be uh, expected to begin to follow and to take on are going to be essentially Jewish-only policies that are going to draw separation between Jewish communities and Gentile communities, uh, particularly in the realms of blessings and um, punishments um, and ultimately a place in the world to come. In other words, um, the, the Jewish view of heaven. What's gonna, What happens to you after you die? Do you inherit a place in the Olam Haba, the age of Sigma, or do you do go somewhere else. So, uh, this is all understood within the um, framework of knowing that the first century Judaism is held to a kind of a prevailing halakha, prevailing uh, viewpoint uh, as they read through their scriptures that the Torah was for Jews only and that the place in the world to come was reserved for Jewish Israel only. So, um, let's see what we can uh, make of this particular passage. Give me a moment, let me take a look at Skype. I think we may have lost someone. Oh, okay. All right. Skype's doing some funny things. If your Skype drops out on you, I apologize. Uh, just jump back in and mute your microphone once you jump in. Okay, great. All right. Um, let's keep going. So basically, I think that one of the better ways to understand this passage, and indeed the entire book of uh, Galatians, is to keep reminding ourselves that that the Many of the Judaisms of Paul's day held to a Jewish-only Israel, a Jewish-only inheritance, a Jewish-only Torah observance, and therefore Gentiles had to undergo conversion from one ethnicity to another in order to be counted as righteous within the uh, people group known as Israel. All right, with that in mind, let's read my commentary. With this in mind, what we just, we just this uh, concept of Jewish-only Israel and a commitment to a, both a written and an oral Torah, let's talk about this word Torah from first-century Jewish perspective. Right? Paul mentioned an obligation to Torah, but did he mean written Torah only? 
At first blush, I say my commentary, starting right here. At first blush, it does seem like Shaul is talking about the law of Moses when he warns anyone wishing to receive circumcision that they're under obligation to keep the whole law. Right? When we go back and read it in the book of Deuteronomy, certainly I believe that that's what Moshe is referring to, is he's referring to written law there. He's not referring to oral Torah or anything like that. He's referring primarily to the words of God that have been handed down to him in, in written form that he is recording in his notes and that he's going to eventually hand to them and they are going to codify and, and record this. And I mean, in other words, it's going to eventually turn into the scrolls that we have today. So I think that's what Moshe is referring to when we read those passages in the book of Deuteronomy and the book of Numbers earlier. But is this what Paul means, right? 1,500 years later, when we get to the time of Paul, does Israel still refer to Torah by just written, or have they already brought in this concept of oral? The careful Berean, I say in my commentary, the careful Berean student of God's word, is going to discover that the first century Judaisms did not speak of the Torah in monolithic terms. That is, to the Judaisms of Paul's day, as it is also in today's Judaisms, in my estimation, there was the Torah Shebektav, which is a reference to the written Torah. The word Chetav there at the end of this word uh, is where we get our notion of written, right? Katav means to write. Shebektav uh, means that which is of the written. So Torah Shebektav refers to the written Torah. And then there was the Torah Shebaal Peh, and the word Peh there means um, mouth, right? So Shebaal Peh means literally means written of, or Torah from the mouth. Shebaal Peh, so, in other words, oral Torah. So many of you know that the oral Torah has has been referenced by another name. Most of you are familiar with it. It's called the Talmud. That's right, the Talmud, or Talmud, however you want to pronounce that Hebrew word. Talmud, Talmud, and the Talmud, of course, is is comprised of two main parts. The 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 earlier part called the Mishnah, and then the commentary part, the longer, lengthier part called the Gemara, which is the commentary to the Mishnah, as it were. So the two parts together, the, the, the Mishnah and the Gemara, together make up the Talmud, basically. Now, I go on to say in my commentary, the problem with this two-Torah idea, right, two Torahs, oral Torah and written Torah, the problem with this two-Torah idea is that in the first century Jewish societies, more and more, we find, if we were to go back and look through history, the oral Torah, as unwritten sayings transmitted by the sages, was being received as equal to, or in some cases more important than, the written Torah. So, by Paul's day, it wasn't really so much written down, it was still very much oral. Torah was transmitted orally, a lot of it was just passed from one sage to another in the form of sayings, or maxims, or, or proverbs, and much of it was memorized. So we didn't have this idea of written, having it written down. In fact, the Judaisms of the first century didn't uh, kind of strictly forbade writing it down because they didn't want uh, Gentiles learning it. They didn't want to have it in written form. But because of the destruction of the temple in 70 AD and because of the crisis that it, that it caused in first century uh, uh, Jewish Israel, then the sages got together under the leadership of uh, Yehuda Hanasi, Judah the Prince, and in basically at Yavne, they decided to reconvene and say, you know what, if we don't reconstitute Judaism and start writing down some of the things that we know orally, we're going to lose it. We're going to lose it because we're being scattered, we're being persecuted, we're being forced to, to leave Jerusalem under pains of death, and um, we're going to lose the uh, the communities and the, the cohesion of, the, of our oral Torah. So we're going to have to really start writing down what we said we didn't want to write down. So thus the oral Torah really started become Mishnah and Gemara. And so over the next 
hundreds of years, I think leading all the way up to the like a fourth and fifth century or something, uh, uh, the oral tradition started becoming what we now know of today as the written Talmud, Mishnah, and Gemara together in, in, in the form of written, in written form. So, but the point I want to make is in Paul's day, it was still kind of oral tradition. So it wasn't as much, so much codified, but nevertheless, this oral tradition was equal to, or in some cases more important than the written Torah. And I think that's wrong. Yeshua did not have very nice words, I say, for those who allowed tradition to nullify his father's Torah. What was oral Torah? It was sometimes just tradition, sometimes it was legal rulings, sometimes it was the um, penalties that the rabbis had imposed upon the community where the Torah was silent, so it was kind of a filling in of the blanks. It was the... the, the um, it was, uh, it was this, what do we say, this, um, man's tra uh, opinions about certain written parts of the Torah, where it was somewhat ambiguous as to what the written Torah might have been saying. The rabbis and the sages came along and added their own interpretations, and those interpretations became traditions, which became rulings, which became, uh, legal, uh, legally binding among the, upon the communities. And they were kind of built up over and over and over like calluses till, to the point that they became fences on top of fences on top of fences, and it became impossible to even see what the written Torah said anymore because the fences had obscured the true meaning. Look at Mark chapter 7, verse 13 sometime when you have a chance to go back and read about how Yeshua just kind of um, uh, attacks this idea of nullifying the written word of God with your tradition, with your tradition. Tradition had become more important to the Jewish people in the first century than the written word of God. And, and, and that, I think, is the better way to understand Paul's warning here. Let's take a peek at this two-Torah concept as described by a well-known traditional non-Messianic Jewish organization named Chabad.org. Uh, they say, quote, the two, the Torah has two parts. In case some of you who are coming from a, maybe a traditional Christian background are, are, have never heard this concept. What? The Torah has two parts? I know the Bible has two parts, you say, as a Christian. There's Old Testament and New Testament. But what do you mean that the Torah has two parts? Sorry. So some of you have never heard of this before. Those of you who are in Messianic circles, you've heard this before, so just listen up. The Torah actually has two parts, according to uh, traditional Judaism. There's the Torah Shebiktav, which is the written law, which is composed of the 24 books of the Tanakh. And then there's the Torah Shebaal Peh, which is the oral law. Again, this is Chabad.org speaking. They go on to say, God told Moses that he will give him, quote, the Torah and the commandments, end quote. Why did God add the word commandments, end quote? Are there any commandments which are not included in the Torah? This verse, amongst others, is a clear reference to the existence of the oral Torah. Of course, that's their opinion. I disagree with their opinion there, but let's keep reading. Uh, Chabad.org goes on to say, originally the oral law was not transcribed. This is what I just explained to you earlier. Instead, it was transmitted from father to son and from teacher to disciple, thus the name oral law. They go on to say approximately 1,800 years ago, uh, Rabbi Judah the prince concluded that because of all of the travails of exile, the oral law would be forgotten if it would not be recorded on paper. Again, this is what I just explained to you a moment ago. He therefore assembled the scholars of his generation and compiled the Mishnah a shorthanded collection of all of the oral teachings that preceded him. Since then, the oral law has ceased to be, quote, oral, end quote, and as time passed, more and more of the previously oral tradition was recorded, end quote.
So, if you look at footnote number 48, 148 in my commentary, you'll see that I lifted that from um, what is the oral Torah from askmoses.com as quoted by Chabad.org. And so it's a quote from within a quote. By the way, for those of you who are curious, who is Chabad? Uh, you can go out to Chabad.org and you can see right on their website that Chabad or the Chabad Lubavitch movement is a major movement, the Chabad Lubavitch, from which Chabad.org is their website. Uh, the Chabad Lubavitch is a major movement within Orthodox Judaism within mainstream Jewish tradition with its roots in the Hasidic movement of the 18th century. And you can go on elsewhere to read in their page that um, uh, they, uh, they are related to their chief rabbi, Rabbi Menachem Schneerson. And he's a very well-known rabbi who passed away just recently. Um, and Chabad is a worldwide movement. They have over 3,500 Chabad institutions or um, Chabad houses uh, that you can find on campuses located in more than 85 countries. They're no small movement, right? They're not some backwoods, uh, fringe Jewish movement that you that that has no sense of what's going on in the world today. Far from it, they're actually a very well-known, very well-organized, well-funded uh, mainstream Orthodox Jewish uh, outfit with a lot of respect and a lot of sway within uh, within uh, Jewish voices today. So uh, Chabad.org is not some you know fly-by-night website, and that's why I brought that up. All right, uh, let's go back to my commentary and uh, keep reading. Relevant to our verse here in Galatians 5.3, I think, oops, um, didn't mean to jump down that far. All right, uh, middle of page 157. Now, as a Messianic Jew, I'm not saying that I agree with Chabad.org in that there truly exists two authoritative parts to Hashem's Torah. Emphasis on the word authoritative. Quite the contrary, I believe in espoused to only one authoritative part to God's word, which is that the written Torah. The written Torah is the only authoritative part for Messianic Jews and for Christians, basically. Yes, I acknowledge the existence of an oral Torah, just like Chabad mentioned, but I do not believe its teachings are binding on believers, whether Jewish or Gentile. And we're going to see why here in a moment, why I don't, do not hold to their, to, to the binding authoritative nature of an oral Torah. Additionally, I go on to say, if we continue to research the history of ancient Israel's views on Torah, Right, We're still talking about what did Paul mean by you're obligated to keep all of Torah, all of namas, right, all of law. We're going to find that sectarian halacha can also be interpreted as, quote, laws binding on all group members, end quote. In other words, um, the term law in ancient Judaism did not only speak of written Torah and or oral Torah, okay? So we've got Written law, we've got oral Torah, but quite often also designated the specific, quote, bylaws, end quote, that separated one Jewish sect from another. That's why I referred to the to um, Paul's uh, religion in his day as Judaism's plural, not just a Judaism. They weren't as monolithic as we think. They they had there were there was quite a, a range of divergence among the Judaisms in Paul's day, similar to the Christianities of today's Christianity, right? It's, it's more proper to, to speak of today's Christianities, plural. And so the same, same concepts is going on in Paul's day. They're somewhat divergent. So some of them held to written Torah, some of them held to oral Torah. And then we had the various bylaws of each group that we also had to bring in when we're talking about this word law. So, um, bylaws separated group from group. 
so that to identify with any particular sect, I say in my commentary, a follower of that group would naturally come under the jurisdiction of the sect to which he had aligned himself. This, of course, is similar to today's uh, what you might call denominations. Depending on which particular Christian denomination you affiliate with or whatever church you have a membership in, you're going to adhere to those particular bylaws and group policies. And it kind of marks you out as a member of that denomination or group as opposed to or compared to the other groups within the same umbrella known as Christianity. E.P. Sanders... Um, makes some interesting remarks here about sectarian Judaism in the first century, and I think they're fitting for our study. He's going to talk about the um, Qumran communities, which were a kind of a, uh, a monastic um, group that lived in Paul's days, right? They really, they separated themselves from the mainstream uh, Judaisms uh, in Jerusalem, and they kind of moved out to the uh, um, to the Dead Sea area, moved out to the caves of Qumran, and kind of separated themselves uh, that's why I call them kind of monastic. Here's what Sanders has to say, quote, The Pharisaic slash rabbinic concept of oral law shows that they, speaking of the, uh, speaking of the Essenes, that they wanted to assert that the law given to Moses was adequate in all respects. I'm sorry, yes, the Pharisaic rabbinic or concept. Even when they were in fact adding to it, deleting from it, and otherwise altering it. Sanders goes on to say, similarly, in 1QS, which is a distinct, we're going to find that there's a distinction made between the, quote, hidden things, in quote, of the law, which are known only to the sect and to the rest of the uh, Jewish community at large. Uh, and we find that in, in 1QS 5.11. Entrance to the community, Sanders goes on to say, entrance to the community pledged to keep, quote, every commandment of the law of Moses in accordance with all that has been revealed of it to the sons of Zadok, end quote. That's a lift from 1QS, uh, section 4-8. Thus, Sanders concludes, the sect's special rules were formally considered to be, in quote, the law of Moses, end quote, though from our point of view, they are additions and modifications. So, this footnote number 149 was lifted from E.P. Sanders' book, Jesus and Judaism, uh, page 248 and 49. And the point I'm making real briefly just by bringing this quote out from Sanders is that he's making us aware of the fact that in the first century, uh, not just among the, the mainstream uh, Pharisees and Sadducees that were found in, in say, Jerusalem and other parts of, of the towns that you might find any average Jew or Gentile in that day, but uh, particularly if you head on out to the uh, secluded areas, you know, the again, the, the Essenes, the Dead Sea Scroll community, the, 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 the Qumran community that had separated themselves, they also had this very specialized uh, look at this word law. They had their own bylaws, and they called their bylaws law or Torah. So the point I'm trying to make is, in the first century, to try to make this as plain as possible for those of you who are not familiar with this concept, in the first century Judaism's that Paul existed, when he used the word law, he didn't simply, or he, he didn't, um, he, there's, a, there's a strong possibility that he may not have simply been referring to what we would today call written law, in other words, the five books of Moshe. Instead, there were two other possibilities that get pulled into this word law, and there's the possibility that law could include oral tradition, 
And there's a possibility that this word law can include sectarian tradition. So we have at least three definitions of the word law here that we have to contend with from a first century perspective. And this is true today as well. If you were to visit a mainstream traditional uh, Jewish community and say, hey, would you guys like to study Torah? It's not unusual for them to pull out a copy of Talmud or a copy of Rashi or a copy of Maimonides or a copy of the, the, of maybe the, the, I don't know, the, the Shulchan Aruch or something like that. Any of the, any of the traditions of, of Judaism that, that, where, where one enjoins oneself to study the root of Torah as has been interpreted by any number of Jewish leaders or sages or communities down through the ages, any of that is fair game to call Torah. That's my point. So, going back, I say my commentary, relevant to our verse here in Galatians 5.3, when we're talking about this phrase Torah, is the striking similarity in verbiage between the Apostle Paul and those in the Qumran community of his day. Did you catch it Uh, when uh, in our lift from um, Sanders, he says, for those uh, those who would be seeking to be identified by the particular Jewish sect of their choosing, right? If a person in Paul's days sought to, say, identify with the Qumran community, or if they sought to identify with the Pharisees, or if they sought to be a member of the Sadducees, or of maybe the Bothusians, or whatever sect of Judaism that they decided to gravitate towards, kind of like today's Christian deciding to choose which denomination he wants to be affiliated with, whether he wants to be an Episcopalian or uh, a Presbyterian or a Baptist or a Catholic or whatever, right? You get my point. So in Paul's day, he kind of had the same kind of denominations going on, so they can just choose, pick and choose. Which which group do I want to belong to? Well, in the Qumran community, notice the verbiage they used. It said, quote, keep every commandment of the law of Moses. If E.P. Sanders' quote can be trusted, and in fact, if I go to an online version of the complete Dead Scrolls that I've got on my screen pulled up, if we go to that section that that Sanders quoted, we can see that that language is used uh, in that section. And this is the rule for the men of the community who have freely pledged themselves to be converted from all evil and to cling to all commandments according to his will. I can't highlight here because this, this PDF is protected, but basically... Um, down here is where Sanders quoted this little uh, paragraph right here. Whoever approaches the council of the community, this is the Dead Sea Scroll quote in uh, translated into English. Whoever approaches the co- council of the community shall enter the covenant of God in the presence of all who have freely pledged themselves. He shall undertake by a binding oath to return with all his heart and soul to every commandment, notice there, every commandment of the law of Moses, in accordance with all that has been revealed to it revealed of it to the sons of Zadok. That's the quote that Sanders lifted. The priests, keepers of the covenant and seekers of his will, and to the multitude of the men of their covenant who together freely pledged themselves to his truth and to walking in the ways of his delight. And he shall undertake by the covenant to separate from all the men of injustice who walk in the way of wickedness. End quote. That's a very significant quote from the Dead Sea Scrolls from the... Um, the section that is known as the um, the community uh, the community rule section the one QS section out of the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls. So you guys are kind of catching what I'm getting here. Let's 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 see if we can capture it in my conclusion here. Uh, near the bottom of page 157 of my commentary, and we're almost done. We basically have just one paragraph left. 
Here is my conclusion to this verse, verse 3 of chapter 5, where Paul warns them, yes, it is a warning, but what's the nature of the warning? Here's what I have to say in succinct terms. After having gone through all of that issue 1 and issue 2 and two and three weeks of lengthy commentary, here's what it all boils down to, folks. Here's what I have to say. Instead of Paul warning his Gentile readers away from total allegiance to the written Torah of God if they undergo proselyte conversion to Judaism, perhaps it is better, I say, to understand the verse as a warning against total allegiance primarily to the oral Torah and or the sectarian halacha of the influencers. That's the warning. The warning against this sectarian halakha of the influencers and or the oral Torah. And what would that um, halakha entail? I go on to say in my final uh, sentence here, this particular halakha, this particular uh, group policy, in case you're unfamiliar with that term halakha, this kind of humanizing of the word of God, the way in which we are to walk, if I were to literally translate the word halakha from the Hebrew, the way in which we are to walk is that this particular policy in in that day does not include Gentiles in their membership roster, which is a halacha that Paul would definitely have problems with. And that's why I think that it is a warning. So if we go back and look once again at Galatians 5.3, and I'll close with this. Galatians 5.3 is couched within the, um, within the context of a warning where Paul says, don't submit to a yoke of slavery. Of course, this is a kind of a spiritual slavery for those who would choose to reject Yeshua. And then uh, commit uh, concomitant with that um, choice to reject Yeshua and instead embrace an ethnic-driven righteousness, Paul uses this word circumcision a few different times. Notice it in verse 2. Look, I, Paul, say that you have to accept circumcision. And then in verse 3, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision. And then in uh, verse 6, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision. So the context of circumcision in these passages, in in just these first, say, six verses here that I've highlighted, the ones that we read in our liturgy, I think it's evident that what Paul is referring to is not just mere physical circumcision, but rather he is referring to what we've come now to understand in our study of of Galatians, is this idea of proselyte conversion for those who were not born with legally recognized Jewish identity in the first century. This would, of course, include Gentiles. So Gentiles wishing to be counted as righteous would normally have to contend with their ethnicity as a Gentile. And very briefly, basically they would have to undergo a conversion to whatever um, whatever, uh, what do we say, uh, denomination of Judaism that they're joining themselves to. And depending on whatever denomination they join themselves to as a proselyte, they would have to take upon themselves not only an obligation to the written Torah, which is okay, right? Obligation to written Torah is always a good thing. We just read that in the book of Deuteronomy. But more importantly, and most, more, more, uh, uh, uh dangerous, Uh, in Paul's view, is a commitment to the oral tradition and the the popular halakha that sought to distance itself from Gentiles within Israel that define themselves as Jewish only. So the point I'm trying to make is that Paul is really warning them 
to that if they become proselytes, if they join the Jewish community that they're seeking to be counted as righteous in, that these Gentiles are going to take on Jewish identity, and, and that's neither here nor there per se, but they're going to take on Jewish identity, and they're going to obligate themselves to written Torah, which from Paul's perspective is okay, but they're also going to obligate themselves to oral Torah and to tradition and to halakha that basically says that there's no room for Gentiles in the people group of God. And that last part, the last ingredient of there's no room for Gentiles within the people group of God, and there's no righteous Gentile that inherits a, a place in the world to come, the Torah is not for Gentiles or anything like that, that is the part that Paul's going to say, nope, I'm going to bring my gavel down and make a decision against that. I'm going to draw a line in the sand and say, no, no, no. This, my Gentile believers, my, my Gentile followers, this is where you also are going to have to draw the line in seeking to be counted as righteous among these Jewish communities because uh, the Torah is for Jews and Gentiles. God's righteousness is for Jews and Gentiles. God's salvation is for Jews and Gentiles. God's Messiah is for Jews and Gentiles. God's Spirit is for Jews and Gentiles. In a word... All of Israel is comprised of Jews and Gentiles, and therefore Jew Israel is not a Jewish-only set. And uh, any halakha that says otherwise is a, is, is a halakha that's headed in the wrong direction, and I, Paul, am going to warn you away from any such halakha. So, you guys understand now, he's not warning them away from written Torah, he's warning them away from any oral Torah or any tradition that tries to separate itself from Jewish-only Israel. Okay, and I think we're going to see that if we as we continue, next week we're going to turn to verse 4. You're severed from Christ. You would be justified by law, justified by your ethnicity. You've fallen away from the gracious position that God is bringing you into as Gentiles in within Jewish communities. For in Christ Jesus, uh, uh, jump to verse 6 as I'm kind of giving you a teaser. In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision, that is uh, Jewish identity, nor uncircumcision, that is Gentile identity, uh, counts for anything. In other words, Paul says in verse 6, it doesn't matter whether you're Jewish or Gentile in your ethnicity. That's what he means by circumcision or uncircumcision. That doesn't matter in God's eyes. What matters is faith working through love. And faith working through love does not per, per, does not have a, an ethnic prerequisite. So, we're going to get a lot of mileage out of this uh, discussion about Jewish ethnicity in Israel. So, let's close our commentary tonight, and uh, just want to remind you that next week is week 80, and after week 80, we'll take a two-week break uh, in our semester break. So, we teach for 10 weeks, we take a break for two weeks, and then we start again with a new 10-week cycle of teaching uh, with week number 81 after two weeks. So, next week we'll meet, and then the week after that, and the week after that we won't meet. Okay, let's close in prayer. Abba, I bless your name and thank you for the opportunity to study. I thank you for the words that have been preserved for us. I thank you for giving the Apostle Paul the passion to write to the Gentiles and explain to them that in Messiah, that the, the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross, that there's no prerequisite to change their ethnicity and their identity and to take on Jewish, uh, legal Jewish standing within the, the community in order to be counted as genuinely righteous in your eyes. 
Uh, we know, Lord, that you died for Jew and Gentile alike. We know that the gospel is for the Jew as well as to the Greek, and that what we need to do is surrender to the finished work of Messiah, have the, the Spirit write the words of God on our heart, and to cleanse us from the inside. And this is the change in status that we need in order to be counted as righteous in your eyes. It's not counted righteous by our ethnicity and the subsequent maintenance of, of keeping commandments, the works of the law all over again. Lord, it's not that. That, that gives us our righteousness. It's not a legal uh, 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 doing of the commandments or performance-based merit theology. None of that matters in your eyes, Lord. What matters is being counted righteous because we have been found in Messiah, in Christo. That's the, the phrase that Paul uses um, to show that we are righteous. We are in Messiah. We are, we are in Christ. And that is the status that we seek to 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 have you recognize that we 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 have Lord is that we have been found in Messiah for indeed when we die and go to heaven you're not going to look at us and ask us whether or not we were Jewish you're going to look at us and ask us whether or not we are righteous and that entails being in Messiah and so thank you Lord for giving us Torah because even though it doesn't make us saved it gives us a blueprint for living it is our lifestyle and as we walk out Torah under the power of the Spirit, we then can fulfill the righteousness of the law that we read about in so many places of the Torah. So thank you, Lord, for these precious words. We'll be careful to give you the praise and the glory of Hashem Yeshua. Amen. That concludes our show for today. It is my desire that this continuing series of teachings will assist the average non-Jewish believer or new Messianic Jewish believer in his desire to become a more mature child of God. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations, as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Because the Torah is written on the hearts of all who truly name the name of Yeshua as Lord and Savior, it is meant to be followed to the best of our ability. We have no reason for fear of condemnation or the trappings of legalism. My name is Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. The intro and outro song were written, produced, and performed by Ryan Kingsley. For more information on contacting Ryan, you can reach me by email at yeshua613 at hotmail.com. That's Y E S H U A number 613 at hotmail.com or visit our website at graftedin.com. That's graftedin.com. <laughs>